passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You see, because whether he wants to accept it or not, deep down inside, he knows the truth. And the truth is, Daniel Bryan's return from injury has been a bust. And each and every week he comes out here is another week he's destroying his legacy and no one has the courage to tell him. Not you, not Kane, not his wife, but I have the courage to tell him that Daniel Bryan's days of headlining WrestleMania are over. Daniel Bryan's career, just like Team Hell No, is dead. As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. Talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. We want to smack down. 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 It is Tuesday. That means it is Rewind to SmackDown. I am John Pollock, joined by Wei Ting. Hello. Hello. Hello? What's the update? What's what update? <laughs> The baseball mogul update, I think the thing that everybody is tuning in for. Well, as those that follow at Post Wrestling are aware, me and Roberto Alomar's agent, we are we have had some problems. Oh no. Roberto Alomar's gotten really greedy. He thinks he he feels that since I've now let this go to arbitration, he now wants more. He's gone from wanting two point nine million, he now wants well over three. So his asking price has gone up. Wow. On top of that, in the scouting report, there's also a rumors section, oh, so boy. you can you can uh, get gossip going on. This and game is deep. I know, oh I know. So uh, the rumor is Roberto Alomar is getting frustrated with Toronto management. <laughs> so I'm not gonna lie, it's not looking great, but I will have an update tomorrow. Oh no, <laughs> you're gonna get you're. Oh man, I'll be sad to see him go. But uh... let me let me leave this cliffhanger. I was on the fence on Monday when I was talking about it. Yeah. And you said, I re-listened actually to part of our show and you said something I missed the first time and I made my decision based on off of what you said. What did I say? I'll alert people when I make my decision. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to stretch this out way. Interesting. This is episodic uh, podcasting. Uh, well, good luck with that. Um, I know you have a very busy week, so I mean, no, I've cleared the schedule away. It's baseball mogul. Yeah. Forget moving. I'm staying just to play baseball mogul. 94 pivotal year. If they go on strike, like they actually did in 94, I'm going to be furious because then I'm on the hook for all this money. Hmm. Yeah. I doubt it. So I doubt I, uh, it's, it's up to you. Yeah. You have the power. Knowing the sophistication of this game, they would have a, a labor stoppage. Yeah. Montreal Expos are going to be soaring and then boom, gone. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on tonight's show, we're going to go through SmackDown. Lots to talk about from SmackDown. Yeah. Lots. Yep. 
And then we're going to preview Sunday's Slammiversary card, which uh, myself and Nate Milton are going to be reviewing. And way you are going to be attending mm -hmm. at the Rebel Complex, I think is what it is called. I think so. Formerly Sound Academy. And formerly the docks, even before that. Yes. Yeah. What a a different kind of venue for, for wrestling. Well, I've been there for concerts. It's a very long and narrow venue. Perhaps the out, uh, the layouts change, so I'm actually kind of interested to see what the what it's going to be set up as for a wrestling venue. But it's a it's a place I've been to many times. I think I've seen Jimmy Eat World there, and I saw stars there. Oh wow! Yeah, I've seen Death from Above. I've seen like Cypress Hill there. I've seen Interpol there. Quite the contrast. Yeah, I've seen Raekwon there. So wow! Yeah, man. Imagine and now I'm going to see. Imagine a bill with stars. Raekwon, uh, Death from Above, and then Cypress Hill to kick it all uh, into gear. And then uh, Grado on top of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Why not? Well, he, he can't come out to Madonna, but man, for the live crowd, he could. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into SmackDown. Anything else going on in your world? No. Anything fun? Um, no, not in the time that I've since spoken to you. So um, I'm, I'm just here to get to business. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's keep things prompt yeah. and on schedule then. Tuesday's night, Tuesday night's episode of SmackDown taking place from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, the site of the Vince McMahon limo explosion eleven years ago. Do you remember that raw, where Vince uh, exploded and then came back to life several yes. weeks later when uh, real death occurred, and there was a funeral scene on this show, no less. Mm -hmm. They recapped Extreme Rules off the top, though the match they focused on with it was the United States title. Um, that felt like that was the major SmackDown representation at Extreme Rules. Yeah, no real... Uh, I, I guess they did mention Rusev, but uh, only in passing. He did not appear on the no, show. No, no, he did not. And Jeff Hardy comes out doing his own version of Kazuchika Okada's new entrance, where he pretends he can't see as he's walking to the ring because of his eyelids being painted shut. I don't know if this is something new for Jeff Hardy. I think this is... Something he always does. Well, he was like putting his arms out like a mummy at one point. It very much reminded me of Okada's new entrance. Oh, okay. Maybe Hardy needs some balloons. Maybe that's what he's missing. Sure. I feel the the character of Okada and Jeff Hardy, the real person, are definitely spirit animals hmm. of some sort. And he comes out and he grabs a foreign object that is not too often associated with Jeff Hardy. He grabbed a microphone. I may look like Jeff Hardy, I may make an entrance like Jeff Hardy, and have face paint like Jeff Hardy, but I don't feel like Jeff Hardy. I feel incomplete. My heart is broken because I am not the United States champion. Shinsuke Nakamura lacks ethics and a code of honor. And he is the definition of moral turpitude. I'm sure words that Jeff Hardy uses on a frequent basis. And... He says that he probably shouldn't have continued the match after the low blow, but he wasn't thinking clearly. So acknowledging this this big slight on his part. Uh, he wants Nakamura to feel as much pain as possible, and then he's going to make him fade and classify him as obsolete as he regains his title tonight. Yeah, he threw in a, a yow in there as well. That's right, he did. Yeah. Which is... Um, not a catchphrase that Shinsuke Nakamura can use no. in WWE. But Jeff Hardy, why can't he use it? I think it's actually a trademarked term. Oh, it's not like he needs it, really. No. Um, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm actually starting to appreciate Jeff Hardy's very unique voice. 
I would take a promo like this over most of the generic promos we had on the start of Raw. Uh, and that's because when Jeff Hardy says words like what he said. Moral turpitude. It feels authentic to Jeff Hardy. Like it feels like this man, this weird man who paints his face like this would say these words. I can believe these words coming from this character. So I like it. I think that Jeff Hardy, I think that these, um, what they've done with the character, yeah, I haven't really minded. Moral turpitude, I, I don't know. That was maybe one step too far for me. Well, but he's not supposed to talk like a regular person. No, no. And he pulls off these these promos satisfactory. Yeah. I just feel like, uh, you know, last we saw him, he was attacked by Randy Orton. I get that they kind of want us to forget about that in order to have the, the shock at the end. But I still feel like if you're Jeff Hardy coming off of that attack on Sunday, that would be the first thing that you would want to address too. Uh, so I feel like that might have been a little bit of miss, but I do understand why they didn't talk about it. Not getting ahead of ourselves, but we are. Do you feel the Randy Orton involvement on Sunday could have just been saved for tonight and eliminate that stumbling block that you just brought up. Could have. Yeah. Could have. Um, like it didn't enhance Nakamura's heel victory. No. The fact that, that like it was all post-match anyway, mm -hmm. he had lost the title and have all the focus here. I think that would have enhanced and, and don't get me wrong. I think the angle was really strong at the end, but mm -hmm. just the reason you brought up there, why did Jeff Hardy not address the elephant in the room at the start here yeah. that Randy's run in at the end I think it was somewhat foreshadowed um, that he yeah. could get involved, whereas had he not shown up Sunday, I think that would have been a, a genuine surprise. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it made a huge difference either way. I mean, this was just a very a small minor thing. thing, but sure. Then they go backstage to Nakamura as Renee, the intrepid reporter, wants a reaction. And he asks, uh, or he states that, Jeff, he is a sad clown. And he wears his pain to hide tears. And then Nakamura pretends to cry. Now it's my title. And that is a reason to smile. And he instructs Renee to smile and says, Tonight I'll give everyone a reason to smile by making a clown cry again. God bless America. Dude, this guy is maybe my favorite character in WWE at the moment. Oh, man. I love this promo. I didn't. What? I think I think we differ. Uh, oh man, I think his delivery two. is so good. Oh yeah, he's so maniacal, and yeah. the God bless America, like he's so sinister. I agree that he does very well with with the script that he's given, but it, I believe Jeff Hardy saying the words he says. I don't believe these words coming from Shinsuke Nakamura. I think Nakamura does best when he keeps his talking very simple and weird. I think something like what he said here. To me, it sounded too complicated and too puzzling. This was almost like a Bray Wyatt type of promo. And, I mean, they hardly work for Bray Wyatt, so I didn't really accept it coming from Shinsuke either. Oh, we disagree on this one. AJ Styles, Andrade Cien Almas. Non-title match to start off our Bullet Club LIJ confrontation. Yeah, or just LI. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, you're right. Uh, Almas uh, did the Tranquilo pose in the ropes with Zelina Vega underneath, which they've started doing in tandem. Mm -hmm. And the commentators are really pushing Tranquilo as a uh, catchphrase for him. 
Almas did a step-up drop kick to Styles seated on the floor. The double knees get stopped as AJ cut him off with an Ushiguroshi. Styles Clash gets blocked, and then Styles is placed on the edge of the apron, strikes Almas, goes for the phenomenal forearm, but is knocked off balance with a spinning elbow to the shin. Almas goes for a moonsault off the top, lands on his feet, but completes it with a standing moonsault onto Styles that the audience reacted to. Almas caught a Pele kick on the turnbuckle, and then a superplex was blocked. Almas hit the double foot stomp, running double knees for a legitimate near fall that the audience bought, bought into. Mm-hmm. And then goes for the hammerlock DDT. It's countered into the calf crusher, and AJ gets the tap. But a really competitive match that I did think uh, helped with Almas here. I didn't think this this hurt him at all. And yeah, I really like this pairing together. I agree. I thought this was a matchup when they announced it earlier in the day that I was really looking forward to. I think for a, a good segment of the of the audience, this would be classified as a dream match of sorts. And the end result I thought was good. I thought it provided a great platform to introduce Almas to a new audience that I think uh, is still starting to get familiar with him. The fact that he went 50-50 with your WWE champion and almost beat him, actually. Almost, almost beat him, yes. Uh, I think uh, says a lot about maybe where they view this guy being slotted in the future. So this match on TV only kind of felt like a glimpse of what these two are capable of. It's a pairing I definitely want to see a more substantial match out of in the future. Um, AJ, you know, he's 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 always great. He's AJ Styles. But, I mean, I do kind of notice that in contrast to maybe where he was a year ago, he hasn't necessarily been having the show-stealing performances that he was having. You know, Seth Rollins has kind of taken that role on Raw now. And I, I kind of wonder why. I think part of it is because he's been involved in programs that you know, don't necessarily, mm, I mean, he was tied up with Nakamura for a long time and that should have given him a lot of great matches. But I think if you think about all the matches together, they've been okay, but perhaps a little bit disappointing. Uh, but I also feel like Rollins is now seemingly able to like work a different style on Raw, mm-hmm. like a more indie style, a faster style uh, and a longer style with a lot more back and forth that perhaps AJ hasn't really been given the same opportunity to have. Also lengthwise. I mean, they got, what would you say, seven, eight minutes here? Mm -hmm. Seth Rollins, a typical match on Raw, he's getting two segments for his matches, if not more, Mm -hmm. sometimes. I'm wondering what babyface would be a good pairing for Andrade. He just seems like someone not Sin Cara that... He just needs a real significant feud. And I don't know who that babyface is that's available on SmackDown at the moment when you're going through so many of the key players either being tied up like your Daniel Bryans, AJs, and then there's heels. Like there's such a plethora of them. I think he's still in the building mode right now. So, I mean, you can move him on to somebody on the level... Mm, he might be above a Ty Dillinger at this point, but let's see. He should be, especially after this. Yeah, yeah. But oh, I'm trying to think who the babyfaces are. But, I mean, you, you look at, uh, up and down the roster, uh, Almas versus Brian is a match I look forward to. Him versus uh, AJ again. Him versus, you know, uh, any number of, of, of talent on, on the roster are matchups that I think a lot of people can salivate over. So I'm sure there's no shortage. Does he have a match at SummerSlam? I'm not entirely sure, but... There's plenty of time. Oh, for it's going to be a 10-hour show, so I think he'll, <laughs> he'll get on there somewhere. They promoted... Uh, first of all, we had Aiden English, who met with Lana. And this was the only uh, addressing of the title match, yeah, with Rusev. Uh, but he did not appear, as we mentioned. And Aiden is just completely stricken with grief and guilt over his actions on Sunday. And he regrets what he did. It was the pinnacle of everything Rusev had worked for. 
and Aiden had taken it away, and he begs Lana to go speak with Rusev. Lana says Rusev is very angry and disappointed. He needs his space, and she asks that if he is actually what is best for Rusev. And he says that he has always had his back and Rusev's best interest at heart. We all deserve second chances. And Lana says, well, we will take that into consideration, brother. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this was probably the breakup storyline that they had initially planned to do and that we saw the beginnings of several months ago. I'm really glad they decided to delay it until now uh, when it feels a lot more organic. I like that this is a fallout storyline coming off of a loss. I don't think we get to see ramifications of losses enough in uh, WWE programming. So I like this. I thought Aiden and Lana both gave good performances here. Lana, I'm actually quite excited to see have a more substantial acting role because I think that's her biggest strength as a performer. Um, I think she can play a role like this as somebody who, you know, uh, seems like she's kind of being positioned as as the person speaking for on behalf of Rusev and maybe manipulating the situation so that um, Rusev and Aiden probably uh, will hate each other a lot more than they actually do. So I think she will play that role pretty well, and I'm curious to see more. And her Russian accent is now down to Rusev. Rusev's name. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's about it. it. Yeah. Um, it's like you in Melbourne. Yes, yes, me and my uh, my fans in Melbourne. Uh, I th- I thought that by the end of this, with the whole second chances line, that I thought of Paul Kogan and one other person online uh, tweeted me about that. Did you think of that at all, or not really? Not just looking at this, but uh, I mean, I I I wouldn't put it past them. And again, not surprising after Raw, but. No mention of Hogan on the show either. Yeah. So that was self-contained on Monday. They plugged The Miz, who was in the celebrity softball game, uh, part of um, the whole All-Star festivities. And this dude was named the MVP. I know. Which I'm starting to wonder if I should be reallocating my funds (laughs) from number 12 to The Miz. You need a new second baseman. Man, maybe I should go take over the Cleveland Indians and recruit this guy. Oh, wow. So, man, this was like some decent... Publicity. Who else was he playing against? They mentioned, I think Wale was in the game. Right. Um, I, I didn't catch all the names, but nonetheless, good on them to promote this fact. And yeah. this was uh, this made The Miz look like a real, you know, something. Definitely. Becky Lynch versus Mandy Rose. Uh, Becky early on sidestepped a bicycle kick that I guess they're calling a, a flying knee, although it looks exactly like the brogue kick that Mandy's doing. I think it's... Her version. Looks like a kick. It doesn't look like a knee. I think she's aiming for like a V-trigger type of knee. And often it looks good. Maybe today, uh, maybe the angle didn't look as great. Uh, Becky got distracted with Sonya Deville on the apron. Rose took over, applied a submission, hit her flying knee. And then Becky did her comeback with the Bexploder and applied the disarmor to get the tap out victory. Yeah. So, I mean, the Becky push continues. Last month, she beat... Both Iconics members in singles matches, so this month it looks like she'll be working her way through uh, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. Mandy got to show a lot of her stuff here. She's still obviously developing, but I think she's progressing pretty well. I was a little concerned at how quiet this crowd was for Becky's comeback. Mm-hmm. Like she had, I, I wasn't really into this match. She had so much momentum coming out of Money in the Bank. And subsequent matches she had on SmackDown really haven't been that great. So... And this was no different. You know, The Becky, I think everybody really likes her, likes the character, but the matches just haven't really impressed. And granted, they're against a lot of new 
talents. Um, but again, it's it's on her. So I do think something feels like it's missing for her to get really hot for this title run. Maybe she just needs to do a big promo where she knows it was just the uh, the three year anniversary of the of the call ups of Charlotte, Becky, and and Sasha. And she could say, I know everyone thinks I maybe haven't lived up to expectations of where I was in NXT and where I've been called up. But I want everyone to go watch Raw and let me know. I don't think it's that bad. Mm. (laughs) I'm still salvageable. (laughs) So she did cut a promo here and talked about how great winning feels. And she's been waiting patiently. She never stops working hard and just gets victory after victory. And she tells Carmella that straight fire is coming for her. And it is time that Becky Balboa becomes SmackDown Women's Champion. Yeah, I'm really glad she got some promo time. I think that's where she can really make that connection with the audience. Uh, she speaks as an underdog pretty well. Uh, I feel like this promo kind of needed that big line at the end of it to really kind of dig into Carmella and to make it really memorable. So maybe we get that. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but like several weeks ago, I don't even know how often Becky does this, but... She, like, had a whole thing about her on her Instagram stories. It was either her Instagram stories or her Snapchat documenting her day. And it was just, like, it was awesome. Like, I mean, she went through her match that she had that evening. Oh. And then, like, she threw in, like, a lot of visual puns in there. It was just, like, a whole oh, slideshow. she's big show. on puns, yes. Yeah, like a whole slideshow of, like, her day. And it was so clever and I thought so well done. Uh, I saw it on Reddit, actually. Somebody saved saved all the photos. So, I mean, she obviously has a very good connection with the audience. I think they just, they need to find a way to really bring that She's out. She's a great baby face. Yeah. She's a tremendous baby face. Um, Paige is in the office, and Carmella's there, and Paige notes, it's not just what Becky said, but the people cheered for it. That's what matters. I guess this is what Dana was thinking when he's willing to give Brock a title fight. Sure. Carmella said that some people just cheer for people because of their accents. Whereas for me, it just gives me headaches. <laughs> and she says, uh, James Ellsworth is not her boyfriend when Paige suggested he was. Do you think he's he comes back or was that it? Uh, I think we will see him again. I because so. I think if that was the end of James Ellsworth on Sunday, he wouldn't have even been brought up here mm-hmm. and mentioned. Um, but I do think there are... are I think the shelf life is pretty short for the remainder of Ellsworth. Like, it just, to me, has not... Those two have not had the same uh, chemistry as they did the first time around. I think it's, like, extended the life of this Carmella title run. But, uh, yeah, does it make it necessarily a winning mm, thing? No, not really. The only way I see him sticking around is for a feud with Asuka. Mm. Which, I I don't know. No, I don't think so. She wants another Melibration, and Paige agrees, but first... She wants to make a match next week with Carmella and Becky Lynch that she says will be non-title, but if Becky wins, she will get a title match at SummerSlam. So unless she gets Bobby Roode, uh, looks like that is the title match for SummerSlam. Looks like it, yeah. I'm not really a fan of seeing matches before the matches, even if they're non-title. Um, first of all, I mean, the result next week I think is very predictable. Secondly, I think it takes away some something from the, the freshness of the actual matchup at the pay-per-view, but... You know, I, I'm I'm willing to see how they tell this story. It could be the thing that Becky needs. And Charlotte uh, did an interview on Maria Menounos' podcast stating that she will be cleared as of July 31st. Yeah. So She um, stated the injury was actually two ruptured breast implants, not just one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Wow. Uh, you know, for her, I almost wonder if it would just help to just, just do the rematch with Asuka. 
Yeah, I mean, you can tell that story of both of them kind of being on such a high at WrestleMania, and then in the in the weeks since, in the months since then, both have fallen considerably, and you can kind of tell a redemption story. It's kind of sad because I think there's a lot of value in that rematch being a big match. Now you're kind of doing like you know both both wrestlers are kind of down in the, in the slumps and in particular Oscar, like it is just dramatic how much she has fallen mm-hmm. since WrestleMania. You could do that if you're just looking for a mid-card match, sure. Ty Dillinger is in the back with R-Truth. I can't, I Hands up if you knew R-Truth no. was on SmackDown, because God knows I didn't. I didn't even know he was still employed. I knew he was employed, but I did not know if you told me my life depended on telling me what brand he was on. I could not have answered. Ty is cutting him off, stating he doesn't want a motivational speech, but gets talked into one anyway, and then is confident about his match with Samoa Joe, and then R-Truth turns around and he's on the phone with his mom on a Bluetooth. In terms of clever WWE skits, I kind of found this amusing. I really like this. I thought this was very funny. To me, this was like the type of cheesy but effective small backstage comedy segment that you would see on something like Glow. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, th- I thought this was funny. It was really, 30 seconds. Yeah, really cheesy, but like very like effective, funny. Got a laugh out of me. So this was playing off of last week's angle where Ty Dillinger was doing his entrance and got jumped by Samoa Joe, which was a WWE.com exclusive uh, and happened before the show. So I don't know why Ty was coming out, but he was attacked. Um, we also have Samoa Joe accompanied by his hair, the, the Joe Hawk that he is now... The uh, Joe Hawk. Did you come up with that? I've just coined it. Damn, that's good. Man, this thing has some volume to it. I like it, man. Was he bald, like, not too long ago? He grows hair pretty fast, I Damn. Think. Yeah. <laughs> He's been through many hairstyles. Like, you can tell Samoa Joe has, like, I think been searching, searching for that perfect hairstyle for, like, his entire career, I would say. Uh, I like this one. I don't know how WH Park feels. I'd like to get his thoughts on this, but... You can find out Saturday. That's right. I think you should have a laundry list of different guys <laughs> yeah. across all promotions to have altered looks recently sure. and get a, a report card from mm-hmm. WH. Dillinger jumps Joe when the bell rings and they go to the floor. Joe runs him crotch first into the post and then just sets him up with knees from the clinch, kicks, coquina clutch, and submits Ty Dillinger in a minute 44. I get the sense that it's AJ and Joe at SummerSlam. That feels like the direction. Oh, that would be great. I'd love that. I uh, I just don't see where else those two yeah. fit beyond that program. Sure. And that, to me, would be... That would be the program I would go with. Yeah. As far as Ty goes, I mean, I don't necessarily see this being the end of the program between these two. The, way, the fact that Ty had that TV time uh, backstage before this tells me that he didn't just come out here to lose a 10-second match. I feel like... This was done to establish the power differential between Samoa Joe and Ty Dillinger to establish Ty, obviously, as the underdog. And I think with Ty Dillinger, you could tell the story now of him, despite being choked up by Joe in 10 seconds, refusing to back down and constantly coming back for more. I think Ty is such a great potential baby face that you have on your hands. Like, he is, he is the Rudy character, the quintessential Rudy type of character. And I think having him refusing to back down from... Samoa Joe will first of all build Joe up as a monster and secondly I think it would be really good for Tives but that's my hope you know uh, Ty Dillinger Sean Spears has had multiple stints in the WWE dating back to the mid 2000s and I think you put more thought into him than they have <laughs> probably in that entire time span and I 
I think you're very optimistic. We will well, see with Ty. But I mean, seriously though, like if this was simply to be a 10 second squash for Samoa Joe, they wouldn't have done what they did last week. And I don't know if they would have done the whole Bluetooth thing with with uh, R-Truth. Maybe not. It can be something quick on TV just yeah. for Joe to have something for now. Then we had the Miz's eulogy for Team Hell No. And there's organ music for the Miz to come out. He's got three Paul Bearers. They're all dressed in black, including Miz. And they and among them, uh, the remix of pro wrestling Kevin Bennett. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even notice. Um, they wheel out a casket with Kane's uh, mask on top of a mannequin head. It looked like a Kane-severed head, basically, on a platter. Yes. Um Miz is shaking hands with fans awesome. like they're grieving. <laughs> awesome. And these hands are these fans are like willingly shaking and like like nodding like <laughs> Oh my god. Miz was so awesome yeah, here. He's great. The ring is decorated with photos and a wreath and Miz says, "Thank you for being here." And he immediately works in a plug for Miz and Mrs. stating, we are not here to talk about this. Great, yeah. Gets a big pop nonetheless. Like, Miz was too good in this segment for the audience not to chant for him. Mm -hmm. He explains uh, that he was just in a celebrity softball game and was awarded the MVP, which led to an MVP chant. And calls Daniel, Bryan, and Kane two of the worst friends ever. And to quote Kane's favorite artist, it is now time to say bye-bye-bye to Team Hell No. Very nice. They inspired unity around the world, and he requests everybody to stand, which most did, and requests a moment of silence, which they all booed and then turned into a yes chant. And then Miz got serious and said, I told you so. I knew this would end with Team Hell No uh, the way it did, calling Kane a broken down demon last week, which he was proven right on. He calls Brian a bogus hero. Brian is just a glory hound obsessed with setting impossible goals who threw a Hail Mary to stay relevant with this team. No one is buying his album with all his greatest hits and that Brian's return has been a bust and no one has the, the guts to say it. Each week he destroys his legacy. No one has the courage to tell him and his days of headlining WrestleManias are over just like Team Hell No and his career is dead too. And this leads to Brian coming out. The pallbearers are all set to attack when Brian comes from the crowd and attacks Miz from behind, suplexes a pallbearer, and Graves gets in the line. Daniel Bryan just ruined his own funeral. <laughs> and there's a running knee to another pallbearer as he points down Miz. And I would guess any uh, questions of whether they were going to go to Brian and Miz, this segment certainly, to me, set that in motion for SummerSlam. Mm -hmm. This segment was great. Yeah, I thought... Miz was excellent. I mean, this had the potential to be terrible. You know, we've 100%. seen hundred percent the the batting average for the WWE this year. For like these... in in a different performer's hands, this could have been this is your life. Yeah, seriously. But the Miz was great. I mean, I like the way he set the whole funeral thing up. I thought he was very funny leading it. Did a great job commanding this crowd and then putting the focus of his program on Daniel Bryan. So it's got a lot of heat on Bryan and their feud. And it, it went from comedy to serious, yeah. quick. So I thought this was a great start for this program. Uh, but given the history that these two have to draw from, they're not even scratching the surface about where the potential could be for this this feud heading into SummerSlam. I mean, man, like, 
just I, I I really hope in the week in the weeks ahead that they draw on all that history that that exists between these two. You start off in NXT, then you just kind of get into whatever throughout their respective careers, and then you obviously top it off with that Talking Smack segment. Just remind everybody of what exactly these two have been through throughout their entire course. And I think you can expect some of the best promo material coming out of both of them. I'm curious, too, how much the Kane injury, the legit injury, affected plans. Because Mm. I can't imagine that the Team Hell No thing was only to lose at the pay-per-view. And whether they are changing stuff around, going to the singles match now rather than holding off on it. Um, We haven't really talked about it. The fact that Daniel Bryan did that interview several weeks back where he stated he is leaning towards resigning mm-hmm. so maybe the uh the fears of him leaving after august are not all that prevalent for the wwe that probably feel confident in booking him in a in a way where he is not the top guy on smackdown but he's in he's in a notable program here for SummerSlam. It yeah feels, it feels like i think that, i mean Miz versus brian is probably one of the hotter programs that i mean of all the programs that i'm thinking about that in brooklyn that too like that'll yeah. be a, a That'll be a strong reaction, I think, for those two. I have way more interest in this match than I do the Raw Championship match, whatever it'll be. But, um, so, uh, it's interesting that Miz didn't really figure into the result of the 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 angle, first of all, at Extreme Rules with the, the attack on Kane, nor the finish of that match. No, and that's why I, I do feel that probably there were some adjustments made. Because I can't imagine that Team Hell No thing was just to be a three-week thing right. and then dropped cold. Right. New Day's in the locker room, uh, talking about Sanity, who they call unsanitary because they're trash. And Kofi was going to be taking on Eric Young. Um, Bit of time uh, for these two that they ended up getting. Byron mentioned Eric Young trying out for the WWE 20 years ago, failing to get a job, and maybe that planted the seeds for him to become this maniacal leader. And I started thinking, what would be more detrimental to a man's psyche? Uh, 20 years of not getting to the WWE or 10 years being inside of TNA? (laughs) I don't know. Um, He could have thrown in a a line in there about being stuck in the asylum for 10 years. You're right. He could have snuck that one in. Sure. Young leaped off the turnbuckle into a drop kick. Kingston did a comeback with the boom drop, called for the trouble in paradise, but Young ducked. Young then flipped over in the corner like Ric Flair, came up the other turnbuckle and was thrown off by Kofi. Then Young goes to the floor. Kingston dove over top the referee onto all three Sanity members. Mm -hmm. That was a cool cool spot. And then hit the SOS. And the finishing sequence saw an O'Connor roll by Kofi. Young kicked out and he got sent into the ropes and Killian Dane used Xavier Woods as a foreign object and threw Xavier into Kofi in the ropes and led to Eric Young hitting the wheelbarrow neckbreaker to pin Kofi Kingston. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that Sanity has now beaten a New Day twice in three days. That's right, yeah. I thought a good match between two veterans I was actually quite excited to see. So I thought they meshed well together. Kofi really is fantastic. I think he's very consistent and maybe in some ways quite underrated. So I like the booking to keep Sanity strong. Um, I'm just not a fan of the gimmick, you know? Like, I think, first of all, I think Young is quite miscast as a heel. I personally just don't see it within him. Um, And I just think the gimmick in general is not very fleshed out, you know? Like, they do feel like another Riot Squad to me. I think it's because they have not really been given much, any character building. No, no it's just time. like, here here are the crazy guys, and that's about it. But even in NXT, like, what, what really was there? It was minimal. You're right. Like, it wasn't, um, 
Like it's it's got the entrance, but the entrance wears thin. Um, it's not even that good. Um, I think Eric Young can be a great heel because I've seen him be a great heel, but it it does require some more depth. To it requires him character. to talk, and I don't know if I've heard him talk that much lately. Yeah, and I just see this group as being, you know, ultimately a launching pad for the other two, mm-hmm. um, specifically Killian Dane. I don't know if this was intentional, but I thought it was so great, is that Sanity is celebrating, their music is playing, and we cut to Shinsuke Nakamura peeking over his United States title, and he's got this maniacal grin while Sanity's music is playing with that howling laughter. And it just looked like the laughter was from Shinsuke Nakamura's mouth. It looked like you could not have planned this. And it was just one of those happy accidents. No way was it intentional. No, but go back and watch, and it's pretty great. Okay, cool. Then we had the ad for Total Bellas. Two episodes left, they clarified. Mm. And we got a sneak peek of the... Uh, the masquerade bachelorette party. And yeah. there did not appear to be any lingerie. Mm-mm, they so, fixed that problem pretty quick. I guess so. And Nikki just doesn't know how to react. I don't look forward to that episode. Uh, anyway. Only two left. Yeah. I think it's a mistake making all of these. Because I, the extent of me watching this show are these 30-second spots. Mm-hmm. And I never see John Cena in these spots. I never see Daniel Bryan in these spots. And... These 30 seconds of a bachelorette masquerade party, you could not tie me down to watch this show. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. It's like Total Divas is actually a a show made for a different audience. So these promos are probably cut by E. They're cut by the producers of the show. And they're targeted towards the E audience, not necessarily. But I I think you're underestimating that the E audience, I think, are interested in Daniel Bryan as well. True. That's very true as well. The Bellas are the main characters. The show is called Total Bellas. But I, I would totally be for, you know, a different version of these promos to air on WWE programming, specifically focusing on the wrestlers that are involved. Yeah. The number was way down this week, too, surprisingly. Um, just it's good, because the episode was really bad. Maybe not surprising. Next week on the show, we've got Carmella and Becky Lynch in the non-title match, and Paige will announce AJ Styles' opponent for SummerSlam. So mm-hmm. is that going to cue the all the heels to come down to the ring? <laughs> yeah, and then two more weeks of uh, we'll qualifying get to, we'll, matches. We'll get two three ways. Yeah. Shinsuke Nakamura, Jeff Hardy, main event for the United States title. So if you were upset that you didn't get the match on Sunday, you certainly got it tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a full match. Hardy attacked him at the beginning, and Nakamura teases the low blow, but Hardy avoids it this time. Mm-hmm. Hardy attacks him on the floor. They go through the break. Nakamura's in control. Corey dubs it bad vibrations that Nakamura is delivering. And then Hardy comes back, twist of fake, it's blocked, and he nails Hardy in the back with a running knee and then drapes Hardy on the edge of the apron with a running knee. Hardy comes back after the second commercial break, nearly overshot him on a whisper in the wind, and then Nakamura places Hardy on the top with a running knee to the ribs for a two count. He does a single leg backstabber and a shining wizard. Goes for the Kinshasa, and it is stopped by the world's weakest sling blade I have ever seen. It shouldn't have even been called that. I don't even know if it was It was like a shitty clothesline. Yeah, I don't even know if it was really meant to be a sling blade. Um, Hardy stopped, uh, got stopped on the top turnbuckle. Kinshasa was countered with a twist of fate. He climbs to the top, hits the swanton. All of the crowd is standing up and looking elsewhere, and it's a tight shot of Hardy going for the pin, and he's pulled to the floor for the disqualification with Randy Orton getting involved. Hardy gets run into the steps. His head is bashed repeatedly into the steps. Hardy tries fighting back, but then gets gouged in the eyes. Orton stomps his head onto the steps. 
and then yells, You want to know why? You're going to have to wait to find out why I've done this. I guess we're still fleshing out why Randy is, is doing this. Yeah. Uh, but then, huh. in the most grotesque moment of 2018, mm-hmm. Randy Orton grabs the the hole on Jeff Hardy's ear for his earring. Yeah, so Jeff Hardy has these like discs in his ear, right? So oh. it leaves kind of these big holes, yes. He grabs it, and he's just pulling on this earlobe, and it's gross. They oh. showed the crowd, uh, crowd shot as this woman looked on in horror, and that was my look during this. This was gruesome. Like, this was... I almost wish they brought back, like, the old school censored bars for something like this. This was almost too much. And that's why I thought it was brilliant. I, I fucking love this. Hardy gets tossed onto the desk and then a draping DDT off of the desk. Great angle to end the show. I thought this was one of the best SmackDowns in recent memory. It was a very good show. This was a really good show. I thought they progressed a lot forward. There was some good angles. Good wrestling. Good wrestling. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, to me, have a much more focused um, or intriguing ideas for SummerSlam. Like, the Miz segment was great. The Orton angle was great. AJ Almas. AJ Almas was a really good match. Uh, Next week, they left you with the the cliffhanger of who AJ's opponent's going to be. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed it too. This Orton angle, let's get back to that. I thought Orton it, was great. It was so good. It was such a great, vicious beatdown. Uh, I think like Randy Orton, uh, you know, he's obviously talked about wanting to play a heel for a long time now. He finally gets to do it, and you can see why he loves doing it, because the man is so good at it. I think it's very worth noting that he didn't come in, and he didn't do the RKO out of nowhere to stop the match, because that would have baby-faced him. Yeah, so, and that's such an easy suggestion that they could have just... Yeah, yeah, for sure, of course. So, you know, gone is the RKO out of nowhere type of Randy Orton, uh, and in comes the sadistic, evil Randy Orton. This ear-pulling deal, I mean, it looks so gross, and I wonder how much it exactly hurt Jeff Hardy, but I'm willing to bet not as much as, say, a dive off of a steel cage or, you know, taking a giant uh, pile driver on your neck. But it delivered a a huge reaction from anybody watching it. So I thought it was so good, so well done. And I look forward to seeing more of Heel Randy Orton. And maybe we're going to get the big explanation with Randy saying, you know, you and your brother came up with that fucking final deletion. And what does the WWE do? They give me the goddamn House of Horrors as their response to it. So fuck you. That would have to be the reason. Yes. I, it's a great point you bring up about the whole RKO out of nowhere. Yeah. I don't mind him keeping the RKO, no, but it should no. be like methodically set up mm-hmm. and slowly hits it. Yeah. There should be no cool shit with Randy Orton. Yes. And he's a smart enough guy to understand that. Yeah. Take out the redeeming parts because that was always his stumbling block is that, you know, he gets like, that's a babyface spot that he would do with that, mm-hmm. with like these crazy uh, setups for the RKO ditch that like yeah. this version of randy orton this was a really refreshing coat of paint you on know, randy orton i almost wonder if it's time for randy orton to think of a new finisher or a secondary finisher that he could use for a run like this uh but either way you're absolutely right and i think randy is one of the smartest wrestlers they have in that company and i'm really interested to see what he does with this run especially in ring yeah so very very strong edition of smackdown mm-hmm. um 
We will go to feedback. F- sure, let's go to feedback quickly before we get to our Slammiversary preview. Yes. One thing I want to note, I want to make a, a correction from Rewind to Raw is when we were talking about Masa Saito, it was actually Ken Patera who was the one who was accused of throwing the, the rock through the McDonald's window, uh, not Masa Saito. He was with him. Um, and Ken Patera has always denied this. And I, was, I was listening to his interview about this. Ken Patera's story is that they were refused the food because they had closed. And then, get this, a drunken ex-employee happened to be just around there, and he threw the rock. And, oh. I mean, on top of that, like, if you read the like articles at the time of the description of, cause they go back to their motel and then the police show up and that's when all hell breaks loose. And the physical damage they did to these officers was insane. Wow. Um, they got two years. They were facing a lot more. Um, it's kind of nuts when I was reading that story today. And I mean, the Conor McGregor incident wasn't as bad because people weren't as assaulted to that extent, but people were still hurt. Oh, yeah. um, in that whole incident, and it made me think of the two, and uh, Conor McGregor isn't going to jail for two years. I think you can argue, I mean, obviously with the, the police beatdown notwithstanding, uh, at least, like, from if we're to believe Ken Patera, the wrestlers didn't throw the rock, it, but Conor did throw that cart into that It's a, that It's not that different of a story. Like, you didn't have all these officers assaulted by Conor McGregor, but yeah. you had fighters that were hurt enough that they couldn't fight the next... Like, Michael Chiesa was not cleared to fight, and Michael Chiesa is really upset because he believes when when the Khabib Nurmagomedov needed a new opponent, it would have been Michael Chiesa that would probably have been tapped to get that title fight on Mm. 24 hours notice, and he was ineligible to fight by the commission. If Conor McGregor was not Conor McGregor and just a civilian who happened to do that, I think he'd be in jail, way. Like, I watched that footage, and I thought it was, like, one of the biggest black eyes in the history of mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. I just, like, how... I can't remember whose footage it was in the bus, but, like, these people in the bus are just frightened for their lives. They don't know what's happening. They just see chaos happening. Like, is this a terror attack? Like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Like, the fear they must have had is they're trapped in this bus, and then a dolly comes at it. It's nuts Mm -hmm. that... You know, Conor McGregor is not only probably going to end up with a, a slap on the wrist this month, uh, he'll probably get a he'll get an eight-figure payday yeah. before the end of the year. The next time he comes back, the man will have a red carpet treatment. You know, he, he owns the place, basically. So, yeah, anyway. Um, let's go to the forum and uh, start off with our feedback. Why don't you go first? All right. Oh, the, the poll. Yeah. I'm curious how people voted on this. I'm, I'm going high on this one. I'm going eight, dude. Before we actually do this, I actually want to give a quick shout out to uh, The Archivist, mm-hmm. uh, who not only runs a great Twitter at archive underscore a underscore way, at archive away, uh, just featuring highlights from all of our shows if you happen to miss all of them. But the man has been keeping up a archive of all of our Raw and SmackDown message board ratings. So the real ratings that matter. The real ratings that matter. Uh, if you go to forum.proswrestling.com and if you go to the podcast category, these are all pinned to the top. Great. Uh, they're called the Rewind Away, sorry, Rewind Raw Stats thread. Just you'll see all of them and you can see tracing all the way back to when we when we started the uh, post-wrestling what the message board has rated all of these shows and it's quite interesting especially when you look at the comparisons between raw and smackdown i did a quick uh averaging and uh yeah what show's doing better 
Is it even a question? Well, I, I mean, SmackDown was in a rut for some time this year. Well, I, I only really kind of judge by the last five episodes. So okay. over the oh, past well, five then, months. Then it's probably more. I mean, Raw has averaged a 4.13 for my message board. and, and I This feel, is out of 10, by the way. Yeah, and I feel like that's almost pretty high. Like, their last few episodes were way worse. Like... Their last few episodes were uh, 3.63, 4.06, 1.87. And, of course, again, this is only a sampling of our message board, but I think it provides a rather, you know, something, some some type of accurate assessment. SmackDown has averaged a 7.25. Oh, wow, that's big a difference. Over its past uh, five episodes. So That's interesting. How did you guys feel about tonight's edition of SmackDown? You thought this show was a 7.41. That's, so yeah, in line. Definitely. What, what would you uh, vote? I'd go seven and a half. Yeah, I'm seven. Going, I'm seven going eight. I, I was wow. really happy with this episode of SmackDown. Okay, cool. We start off with Mark from Vaughn. Enjoyed the showcase for Almas after being in limbo for so long. Hanging with AJ in a long competitive match did more work for his doc than anything that preceded it since NXT. Question: Is Samojo the safest bet for AJ's title contender? Heel options on SmackDown are limited with Nakamura as U.S. champion and The Miz occupied. Also, why does the WWE insist on giving us variations of the match we're getting on a pay-per-view as a preview? They love making us see something three to four times before the important meeting. Uh, it's not. Uh, to me, I, I like keeping the, the match fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we will see, this is not something new uh, as evidenced by Lex Luger facing Hulk Hogan uh, five days before their pay-per-view match at Road Wild 1997. Right. How about that for a yeah. plug? Nice. Friday on the cafe. Um, yeah, I think Joe makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have to overthink this. Yep. I, I really, on both sides, I really don't want multiple person title matches. I'm so done with those. Yeah. Um, I well, would really like, it. maybe not for both. Just get at least one, the a singles title match. I can really see the Brock match being, you know, a triple threat. I can too. Um, but, but this the, one, there's no reason the no. SmackDown one needs to be any more than Joe versus Styles. Joe versus Styles, SummerSlam, that's a match that already sells itself. It's a great match for your hardcore fan base. You don't even need too much storyline getting, heading into it. I would so, argue... To, if the, you, the less, the better. I would argue you should put that on last at SummerSlam. No, I don't think they will. Well, It'll be Brock. And Roman? Uh, I think so. Good luck. I don't, I don't, by the way, I don't want to hear if it ends up being Roman and Brock Mm -hmm. and the audience turns on that, that night, I am not going to blame one fan and no one should be blaming the fans because on this day, everybody knows what that reaction will be. And if they opt to book that match or a variation of it Mm -hmm. and get upset at the crowd reaction, then you've just you completely have lost your ability to have any kind of uh, finger on the pulse of yeah. your audience because every single fan knows that is going to happen. And if you're going to be that um, that much of an ego to go ahead with that, then you deserve whatever reaction comes your way at the Barclays Center. I feel even if it doesn't go last, it it might very well get. A you're very right. Like reaction. that's that's the the consequence of booking that match. And for all we know, maybe they will be smart enough not to do it. I think the way to do that is the night after at the Barclays Center, unannounced ahead of time, where you get Brock on TV, and that can be Roman's win. And Braun somewhere in there. Braun should be somewhere in all of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have Braun coming out of Monday night as the champion through yeah. whatever booking you do that whole weekend. That mm-hmm. could be where you come out of it. Yeah. 
Anthony from Philadelphia. SmackDown w just has a good flow and energy to it this year that makes it hard not to enjoy, and tonight made me happy because I feel like they're going in directions I like. I feel like the almost match planted seeds for a future program. The Aiden Lana program plants seeds of either a split or forgiveness. Becky's wins of late may actually lead to a logical title match. Miz and Brian continue to be great together, and Orton may either be going for Nakamura or continuing to take out Hardy. I think it's pretty clear-cut. Uh, Orton and Hardy is the program and yes. not Nakamura. I wonder where well, Nakamura I, I do goes. wonder because, I mean, Nakamura did kind of linger a little bit, not just on Sunday, but tonight as well. So uh, could I see a triple threat? I mean, the, the grudge seems so personal right now between Hardy and Orton that I don't necessarily see it. But I wonder how Nakamura, Nakamura might fit into the story, though. We're mentioning, like, Almas, Nakamura. It's like you have these heels and, like, who are those baby faces right. that are available? Mm -hmm. um, it's nice to have a WWE main roster show where you get more where you're more positive on the future than negative seven gauge earrings I will never ever get out of 10 and his question is Charlotte announced she's returning in 2 weeks on Smackdown in an interview with Maria Menounos how do you think she factors into SummerSlam we kind of discussed this um I, I like the Oscar match if you're looking for a quick you know a way to reestablish those two I just think that you could they both could use just something of importance um or you team the two up and have them face something like the Iconics or uh, uh, Mandy and, and Sonya. Yeah, that's a possibility too. I mean, mm -hmm. if Charlotte, she could be on TV next week, even though she's not cleared. Yeah. Uh, but you, you want to get something going for her. Um, I don't see her having a, a super prominent part of SummerSlam, but but something. Mm -hmm. And maybe, yeah, teaming or against Asuka could work. We get an Anthony who says, Randy Orton is a nasty son of a bitch. Sticking his finger in just enlarged pierced ear hole. I bet he doesn't even wash his hands. I went back to catering and ate hors d'oeuvres, finger foods, while licking his fingers clean. Oh, he, he he's saying Orton did that. Okay. All right. Uh, your, your turn. Tommy from Scotland. <laughs> it's been a long time, but I'm actually happy after a WWE show. I enjoyed AJ Almas. Hopefully we get AJ Joe at SummerSlam. Miz is great. Finally, we get heel Orton. That ear-pulling spot was brutal. Lastly, John, I truly hope you bring the Blue Jays back to prominence. I can't even tell you. The the Toronto Blue Jays feedback dwarfed the uh the yogurt recipes I, feedback. We need at least weekly updates. Okay, well I'll I'll keep people posted maybe, when you, maybe you should get on Twitch and start streaming your yourself playing baseball mogul. I don't think anyone would want to watch that. Oh, I beg to differ. Oh my god. That's a maybe, that, maybe that's, that's a future a, video for that's us. That's a Patreon premium item, <laughs> I would say. All right, we got a uh Matt from where? <laughs> Melbourne. Wow, what a great episode of SmackDown. How can they get it so right on one hand and so horribly wrong on the other? Do the shows currently have different writing teams, or do you just put it down to a better collection of talent on SmackDown? There is, um, there are writers that are assigned to both, uh, to different shows um, that, you know, some that will write for Raw that don't write for SmackDown. But, I mean, ultimately, they do come down to the same editor. So, as much as people are, are praising tonight's show... I mean, Vince McMahon is still the final editor on the show, so he deserves as much praise as he may get negativity on a terrible edition of Raw. Mike from New York. I think this was an okay SmackDown overall. I don't think they should have had Almas face AJ so soon. What happened to building up a wrestler to face off with the champion? The Miz-Daniel Bryan program is ready to go full steam ahead into SummerSlam, and I'm liking that. Becky will beat Carmella next week to set up the SummerSlam match. Hopefully Becky gets the title offer. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Nakamura and Orton. Both are heels, so are we getting heel versus heel, or is Orton facing AJ? 
I don't think Orton's direction is all that confusing. Like, that seemed yeah. pretty clear-cut. Yeah. I just want a singles match with those two. I, I don't want Nakamura involved, and I don't think Orton's mm-hmm. going to be involved in the main event. Um, and yeah. Off, yeah, and about uh, Almas facing AJ so soon, I mean, uh, in many situations I would agree with that, but I felt today worked really well for Almas and helped him a lot, even in a losing effort to AJ. Almas is a guy who really needs to just get established with, with the audience right I think now. he needs a program for the moment that he can go over strongly in and can be a fall opponent for AJ or, or something. Like, I think this was just a tease for, you know, he's not the SummerSlam opponent, but he could be something down the road. I didn't think this did any harm for him on this oh, show. In no. fact, this was one of his best main roster appearances, yeah. period. Steve from BC, I really like tonight's SmackDown. The promo from Becky was good, and the prospect of her potentially ending Carmella's horrible title run at SummerSlam has me excited. The post-match beatdown from Randy Orton was well executed, and I've already got more interest in Randy Orton in the last two shows than I have the last two years. Overall, while not the greatest show, SmackDown delivered some decent matches and seemed to have a much more clear direction than Raw has had in months. Question, what do you think is the biggest reason that SmackDown seems to be a more watchable show of late? Would you chalk it up to the two-hour format? I just have a hard time understanding how Vince is responsible for both shows when they are so far apart in terms of quality and interest. Um, You know, it, it is like different, um, different mindsets for the shows. Those clearly come across. But, like, realistically, and I'm not trying to be, like, super negative here, and I think the show can prove to people that you give a product that... I think this is such an easy, like you have such great talent on your rosters that the audience, I think will honestly look back at this period as some mind boggling, awful creative mm-hmm. at their, and just blowing opportunities. Like when we look back at this Brock Lesnar angle with Roman Reigns and how stubborn they were about it. And just so many things that they've thrown out like Bailey and Sasha. Um, there's so many different examples like that, that I think this audience they want to enjoy this product. And if you give them something as simple as Becky winning a couple TV matches and it leads to a title match, people are treating this as like, this is the greatest show of all time. Like, yeah. And in, in, honestly, if we were to take a big step back, like this show is not changing the world, mm-hmm. but the, the bar is so low that this show is treated like this creative epiphany mm-hmm. tonight, just building up some basic stuff. Yeah. That's all they want is just try and do some simple things. Make it make sense. Push some people that the vast majority of the audience truly takes to. But why the difference? This is not the hardest audience to impress. But why the difference between the two, you think? I, th- I think it starts from the top that you have a you have a clear-cut character that they're behind in Roman Reigns that I think is just awfully miscast in the role he's in. I'm not saying he can't be a top guy, but not in this incarnation. I think that it, it's a bit of a trickle-down from there. And then you just see... You're also seeing characters now in another form of the WWE in the NXT brand where you see them get over. This isn't something as though, oh, this is the guy from New Japan that's coming over and he can't make the transition. You're seeing them in a WWE structure get over mm-hmm. and, a, and a brand that is largely well received. And then you're seeing what should be like everything is handed to you on a silver platter and you're seeing these characters fall apart. And I think that that happens on Raw and SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think we can necessarily just put SmackDown on this giant pedestal either. Like, there are weeks SmackDown is yes. dreadful, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say, you know, all those factors, I think, uh, make a lot of sense. Uh, but the time difference between the two, I think, is a, it, it is a difference maker, at least for me personally. If Raw was condensed to a two-hour show, 
I think it would move by a lot faster. Even the bad, I don't think would be as bad because it wouldn't be so drawn out. A lot of the meaningless matches wouldn't be so drawn out. I'm not going to say it would be as good or better than SmackDown, but I think it would make a difference in my enjoyment. of the I, show. I think two hours is a very good length. And to, to go to that point, like now that we've sat through a few of them, like these pay-per-view lengths, I really did not have the same anticipation level for these pay-per-views. No, they are yeah. chores, yeah. these shows. And I think they have harmed the quality of these pay-per-views by making them so long. When I'm sitting down at 6 p.m. and I'm there till 11, mm-hmm. every WWE pay-per-view, I, I think it really harms the quality as compared to if they were half that length. Now, again, it's not so much... I would say the length as it is maybe the quality of the content that you're putting in those shows. I mean, these New Japan shows are are pretty long. Like they're 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 we're watching two hours at least of the G1 multiple times a week, and we're not necessarily complaining because all the matches are good. Every every match has stakes that's leading to something. But if you're giving me a pay per view of of often a lot of filler like we saw on Sunday, of course that'll be a chore. Yeah, I think that they're just. They're not a, a six-hour product. Mm-hmm. Um, at WrestleMania, they might be. Uh, maybe at SummerSlam, they will be. But every four weeks, uh, they don't have that kind of depth that mm-hmm. I think is going to capture your interest for that level. Uh, next one here is from Brandon. This is the Randy Orton we've been missing for years. He needs to just not give a shit and go after all the fan favorites and do despicable things. I really think he should actually do the opposite of his legend killer gimmick and now go after all the younger talent. I love that idea. I think that's great. I mean, well, Jeff he's Hardy. starting with 40 year old yeah. Jeff Hardy. Jeff I guess Hardy. he's going to work down. Jeff Hardy doesn't really qualify. You know what? I don't really love that idea so much. Cause I mean, in the end, uh, wrestling is about building your younger talent. So in the end, you're going to have to have your younger talent go over Randy. The Orton. rookie killer. Yeah. I wonder how, how far that'll go. Um, Part of me really enjoys kind of the the irony behind it, but maybe not long-term. One of the things I love about New Japan is when a new challenger just comes down to the ring and says he wants the next title shot. I feel like that was what they were doing with Becky, but then they just had to go with one of their favorite stipulations of a match to earn another match. Hopefully Becky walks away with this feud as the champion because she deserves it and should break Ellsworth's arm. I want to see him wear a cast and have a never healing, never healing broken arm. That's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Although I would say arm breaking is kind of Ronda's gimmick now. And Ronda does it far more convincingly with a lot more credibility to back her up than Becky does. Not to say Becky can't do it, but you're going to get those obvious comparisons and Becky's arm bar is going to look far weaker. So, hmm. Um, okay, we got a Jeremy in Texas, finally, who says, A solid episode of SmackDown tonight. Heel Orton is the best Orton, but I cringe with that close-up of his finger in Jeff Hardy's ear. I was a bit surprised to see Almas versus AJ with virtually no build. With Miz, versus, Miz and Brian on course for SummerSlam, AJ versus Joe seems to be the title match, or could they go the way into a bag of tricks and bring Cena in for the chase of championship number 17. How about that? Oh, with AJ. Um, I don't throw that idea out. What, do, um, do you know what he's doing at the moment, Cena? John Cena? Um, I don't think he's doing a movie, but I, I really don't know. I'm sure he's got something going I'm on. I'm sure he has something yeah. going on. I don't... Well, on the last Total he's Bellas, not, he was just at home bored, right? right yes. So maybe. Um... You could do that, I guess. Um, I watched Blockers over the weekend, by the way. How is it? Cena is great. Yeah. He is awesome. In, so in the premise role. of this movie is that parents, their parents uh, and their kids all want to have sex at the prom. Yeah, exactly. Yes. The parents of three children who are going to their high school prom, and uh, these tr- three children have made a pact to have sex and lose their virginities at the prom. And Cena, his role, is, along with two other parents, are to invade this prom and to stop this whole thing from happening. 
John Cena is just like we make fun of how terrible his comedies can be sometimes in wrestling. Oh no, he's really good. In a setting like that, I haven't seen the, the other movie he was in with um Amy Schumer? Yeah, I haven't oh, seen that. Oh, he's one. great in that too. But I mean, like he knows his tone. Like the, the whoever's casting him for all these movies and and Cena himself, he fucking nails it. He is honestly really good uh and he fits right in. He's a he he's funny, like he <laughs> I anyway, I I recommend it just for if you if you care to see John Cena act. Maybe, maybe he should be on Raw, and he'll come out after next weekend's uh, or next week's uh, Lashley Reigns match, and he'll just say, "I've been watching this heavyweight division. Roman Reigns is shit. Bobby Lashley is shit." He'll do the Brock Lesnar promo. Oh, and challenge Brock. Oh, okay, okay. No, um, or he can come out and say, "Brock Lesnar, fuck him." <laughs> That'd be great. Did you watch that on uh, not just the being the elite, but the Fale uh, did uh, those p- uh, press conferences in the uh, backstage at the G One. I've shows? seen. I saw one from a few days ago, but not the most recent one. Yeah, he, is that just he just says it? Like he's a lot of fun. That's he's great. great. Yeah. All right. Well, now it's time for our Slammiversary preview. Uh, I'm doing this for the benefit of Way to yes, bring please. you all up to speed on what's happening on Impact. I have not been keeping up with Impact. I did watch the the episode two two weeks ago, I believe. Yes. Between, uh, Had with... the Phoenix Rich Swan match, mm, and I enjoyed that episode. Impact, by and large, it is such a easier program to watch than it was even three or four months ago. Um, so catch me up to speed first. Let's let's bring up. Um, let's go down the card. Okay. So. Uh, you want to start at the bottom or the top here? Let's start at the bottom. Okay. Build our way to the top. We have Tessa Blanchard taking on Allie. Uh, Tessa Blanchard debuted, um, I think it was just at the last pay-per-view, at Redemption. She mm-hmm. signed a multi-year contract with the company. And after losing to Madison Rain, she's now got... Th- this is just a real quick put-together program okay. uh, with Allie, who had uh, had her best friend taken away in a casket by mm-hmm. Sue Young and the Undead Brides. That's Rosemary. Uh, Rosemary, yes. yes. Uh, so Allie had to go to the dark side, and now she's come back. So she's experienced the darkness from her usual bubbly self. Um, so they gave a, a little bit of an edge to her character. This is kind of like a post-broken Allie? Not really. They haven't really gone so far with it. Um, this match should be okay. So is there any real story? Not not a big one okay. to this one. I mean, it's, it's our eighth of eight matches. Yeah. LAX versus LAX. Uh, this, okay, so the story here is that Conan was taken out, and then he showed up several weeks ago, and he's out to find out who his attacker was. And meanwhile, Santana and Ortiz, they had been going through this slump with Conan gone. So that's when the king, Eddie Kingston, showed up and guided them, and they were able to get back on track. This is when Conan showed up, and he cut these incredible promos, mm-hmm. and... Had this great segment revealing that Eddie Kingston was the one behind the attack. Mm-hmm. And Conan, thinking that um, it was going to be uh, Santana and Ortiz turning on Eddie Kingston, weren't aware that Eddie Kingston had made a deal with the original LAX members, Hernandez and Homicide. Uh, so that is where... Uh, this is kind of just a playoff of like the Midnight Express, original Midnight Express angle right. um, that they've just updated here. So they're going to have a 51-50 street fight. Um, you know, the strength of this has been the promos and they're probably going to have like a wild brawl. And I'm just interested how they differentiate this from another match we'll talk about next, which is the House of Hardcore 
rules match and just having your two street fights be different enough. I saw the angle on that particular episode. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really smart to bring back uh, Hernandez and Homicide and kind of do what you're, what you're doing with the Bullet Club right now. Uh, obviously, before the Bullet Club are doing it, do having your OGs versus the new uh, versions of LAX. Yeah, and Hernandez is back after he, he had left the company to go to Lucha Underground. So mm. his, his, his being uh, back here in the fold is notable. Eddie Edwards and Tommy Dreamer uh, are going to have a House of Hardcore rules match. The Eddie Edwards story is... Probably one of the more underrated ones this year in terms of if you are someone that wants to see different forms of storytelling and wrestling, that often means stuff that falls flat on its face. Mm -hmm. And I think in many other promotions, this would Uh, impact has been able to carve out this kind of I don't want to compare it to Lucha Underground because it's different enough. It's not too out of the realm of reality that it just totally slaps you in the face for trying to get into it. Eddie Edwards had this blood feud with Sammy Callahan um, that they did all this unique stuff with, like just the way they shot it, doing a lot of stuff outside of the arena. It was the baseball bat incident. It started with the baseball bat incident. And as much as I hated that they aired that spot and stuff. Can you you remind people what, what exactly happened? So they had the match where you've probably seen the clip where the chair was placed on top of Eddie Edwards and he had the baseball bat and was supposed to, I guess, hit the chair and missed and just hit Eddie in the face, mm-hmm. broke his nose, and it was awful. Yeah. But... I, I mean, I heard Sammy, like, in real life, felt really bad about that. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, it is wrestling, so you you take a awful incident yep. and you try and make it. And yep. you can't deny that it's helped both guys. Mm-hmm. It's gotten Sammy over as this despicable heel who people legitimately hate and it sent Eddie Edwards to a believable dark place to want revenge. So you had this unique presentation of this guy who's losing his mind, who you can understand why he is full of hatred. Mm -hmm. And now like it got pretty insane where he took Sammy Callahan out to the woods and throughout this whole time period, Tommy dreamer, who's been uh, working with impact, uh, is playing his mentor. In what capacity? has, has I think just you know, as an agent, okay, and cool. he's been helping them out with stuff, okay. uh, and then doing on-screen stuff as well. So Tommy Dreamer has played the mentor role, telling Eddie Edwards how I wasted so many years of my career chasing Raven because of my hatred, mm-hmm. and it backfired on me, and I don't want to see you be consumed by all this hatred. And Eddie cool. Edwards ends up isolating himself. His wife leaves him. There's a scene where he goes home and his his whole house is empty and he looks into a mirror and he sees Sammy Callahan and he just n- destroys the mirror. Kind of like Debbie Egan. Yeah, it's... Listen, it's pretty out there stuff. Like, WWE could not pull this off, mm-hmm. I don't believe. It sounds like it's a far more adult uh, form of story. I think they've done it pretty well. And it's interesting to see that it is almost... Not exactly the same as the Johnny Gargano character change, but pretty damn similar. Cool. Um... So anyway, I think they've done a really great job. And Eddie Edwards, awesome wrestler. Like, his biggest knock was this guy could not talk. Mm-hmm. And he's been really good. Like, this has been his acting that has they've had to rely on here, not so much the wrestling. Uh, so anyway, that's the match for this, where he's separate from Sammy Callahan, taking on his mentor in a House of Hardcore Rules match, which I think they can make it different enough because this is more the story of mentor versus student, um, as opposed to the LAX match that is just kind of your your big grudge mm-hmm. feud among mm-hmm. former teammates. Cool. Phoenix, Johnny Impact, Rich Swan, and Taiji Ishimori in a four-way match. 
this should be off the charts great. Mm-hmm. Um, Rich Swan, um, he really has not received a lot of negativity that he's been, you know, he was going to retire at one point after after the incident he had that led to his WWE dismissal. The charges were dropped. Um, it was due to a lack of evidence. Sue and Young is... Sue Young, his in wife, impact. is in Impact as well. And Rich Swan has largely been well-received here. Mm-hmm. He's, I think he's only done like a one-night-only taping and the Windsor tapings, but that Windsor taping featured the Phoenix match, which is one of the best TV matches Impact has had in a long, long time. Like, mm-hmm. you saw the match. Yep. It was really fantastic. And you had Taiji Ishimori, which is notable that you have a New Japan representative on this show since be, he's left Noah. And he'll be donning... Will he be donning his Bone Soldier gimmick? I would think he has to, yeah. We don't even know which side he really falls on in that whole thing. Yeah, maybe he's going to just say, fuck him. Yeah, maybe. Uh, this should be great. Like, cool. I, I think this is going to be a really terrific match. And Johnny Impact is throwing out the first pitch at the Blue Jays game on Sunday. Wow. So okay. he could have a horrible moment going into this four-way. I mean, if he launches that ball into the 100 level. Or if he does well, I know you're looking for a pitcher, man. Listen. Uh, the Miz and Johnny. Oh, man, perfect. Johnny Mogul. Yeah, Miz and Morrison. Oh, my God. Can you imagine man, it? Holy shit. God, what a... What a great team, Sign but potentially. Pentagon Jr. versus Sammy Callahan, mask versus hair. Um, listen, Sammy Callahan's the top heel in the company mm-hmm. at the moment. I would say even above Austin Aries. And Pentagon Jr. is super over. They did a great angle where Phoenix was being beaten down, and then Pentagon Jr. runs in and starts attacking Phoenix. And everyone's like, why is he attacking his brother? And he unmasks, and it's Sammy Callahan. Dude, that was also on that episode that I watched. Oh, you watched so, one of the best impacts this yeah, year. Yeah, holy shit. Like, yeah. that really is your best setup for this show, is I, just watching that impact from, not this most recent week, but the week prior. Yeah, I thought that was awesome, too. It was a really great angle. Yeah. I, I think Sammy's getting his head shaved, and mm. um, yeah, this has been, they've had some clever stuff to, to build it up. Matt Seidel, Brian Cage for the X Division title. I am not a big fan of Matt Seidel's character. He's like this... Guru this, thing. Yeah, it's... I don't know. Catch me up. Like, what exactly... Do your best to describe... Um, I mean, he was paired with Josh Matthews briefly when they thought that uh, they were going to take Josh Matthews off commentary, but then Jeremy Borash left the company. So you had this horrendous stretch of TV yeah. where Josh Matthews was playing announcer and heel manager, and it sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, they stopped that, and now Seidel's on his own. It's just... Listen, I think the match should be really good between these two. Cage is being presented as this babyface monster that... Um, he's just running through people. So yeah. maybe you could do a title switch here, possibly. Okay. Uh, on that note, how has the commentary been on the show? It's been better. It's now Josh Matthews and Don Callis on all of the shows. They've removed Sanjay Dutt. It's good. Um, I, I don't think it's um, anything that, you know, it's, you know, this great, well-kept secret in pro wrestling. It's fine. It's not overwhelmingly great, but okay. it's an improvement over where it was six months ago, pre-Don Callis. I think... It helps, I think, having someone as well that's involved in creative. I think that always mm-hmm. helps to have that pitch man yeah. uh, be part of creative, knowing where things are going with all the characters. Sue Young and Madison Rain is a weird program. I like the start of this. Madison Rain, who's been uh, doing behind the scenes work um, with the company, is she? It, was, it wasn't all that different from the Becky Lynch stuff. She started doing TV matches and put together some wins. And then got a title match as a result of it. And it was like this comeback story. But she's taking on like this crazy character in Sue Young, who is 
kind of taken over the position Rosemary had, but multiplied it by 10. So this past week's impact, Madison Rain is doing a sit-down interview um, with the new interviewer, Alicia. Yes. And then Madison hears something. And she walks over into this other room. Alicia disappears. And then it's like the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe where she goes into like the inside out or something. That's where she ends up. The upside down, you mean? The upside down. The inside out is uh, Impact's, I guess, trademark free version. It's the uh, Disney uh, version. Yes. And she is surrounded by the undead bridesmaids. And the show... The show ends on this cliffhanger of Madison alone, and then Sue Young comes at her. It, it was pretty goofy. I mean, <laughs> for all the credit I'm going to give for what they've done to the Eddie Edwards thing, like this is pretty fucking goofy. Okay. Um, even for Impact standards, I kind of like the start of this, but it, it's kind of gone into this really weird direction. Mm, um, okay. They're really testing the limits with the Sue Young character for me, and then Austin Aries against Moose for the Impact title. Like this is this has all the makings of the Moose coronation uh, to win the title. Um, they've been pushing him hard, where he's been off television for this whole run up because he's off training to get ready for Austin Aries, who's been on TV just cutting these great promos, building up the match. They did an angle last week with uh, D'Angelo Williams, mm-hmm. uh, with Aries insulting D'Angelo and even doing physicality with him as well. So, um, what, how, how long has Aries been champion? Since, well, they had him lose the title at Redemption in April, and then he lost it two nights later at the tapings, but it didn't air for a good four or five weeks. So the title change didn't air until like end of May, something like that. So it hasn't been too long if you're just watching the television. He went back after Redemption, you mean? He lost it at Redemption. He lost it at Redemption and won it back from from Pentagon Jr. on TV. So uh, the biggest thing Impact has going is they've got a lot of great talkers, like Austin Aries... Conan, um, Tommy Dreamer on that yeah. show you watched cut a really great promo. I think Eddie Kingston's really good. Eddie Kingston was very good on that show as well. Uh, so they got a lot of great talkers, and that mm. that really is a benefit to Impact, and they're cutting very good promos. So, like I've got to say, like the TV by and large, it's been a lot better. Um, they're getting away from a lot of the filler stuff where. They'll just to fill time. They would air matches from other promotions that, to me, just it took all the momentum out of the show, mm-hmm. but they just had to to fill up all this time, and they've reduced that a lot. Um, so the, the television has certainly been better, and I've got to say I'm looking forward to this show. I think I have more interest for this show than I did for Extreme Rules last week. So I'm curious to see how well the the Toronto crowd reacts. Uh, hopefully they get a decent sized crowd. I think that they'll do okay for Slammiversary. It's those television tapings next week that I think they're going to have a really hard time uh, filling. Sounds like sounds like it's a very important show for Impact. Uh, it seems this like- to me is the bit be- like more so like Redemption was their first pay per view after the whole regime change. But this to me is the like if you have not watched any Impact, this would be the show to mm-hmm. check in on because I think it's the the more fair representation because it's been now over six months since mm-hmm. Demore and Callis have been really hands on with everything. So it's a good lineup. Eight matches have been announced, and I think that this should be. A pretty good show on Sunday. Well, thanks for the primer, John. That was very uh, concise and, and effective. You and Nate Milton will be covering this show on N- Sunday. Nate will be joining us on Sunday. Uh, we're going to get a call in from you. Yep. And uh, yeah, you you can maybe give us the impressions of a, of a young fan as well that you're going to be attending. I with. actually don't know if he'll uh, he'll make it. Oh, actually. okay. Your nephew is in town. Yes, he is. He will be. So uh, 
He um he's from Japan actually, so maybe if Taiji Ishimori wins, uh, he can could do a G one review with him. Maybe uh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> C- could he translate promos for us? Uh, I don't think he needs to. They're pretty well translated by the uh, by New Japan, aren't they? Not when that guy Dango. That- yeah. He, when he's doing them and the other guy's yelling in the ring, like I can't even understand, I can't even hear him. He's a low, t- yeah. Anyway. And apparently his uh, translation of the Kenny Omega promo wasn't exactly um, right on point. Okay. So anyway, not to be a dick here uh, or anything, but anyway, G1, we're going to be back on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, we already have three G1 reviews up, and then we're going to have reviews Thursday through Sunday. Yep. So that means two shows coming out Sunday with yeah. Slammiversary and uh, the G1 uh, recap. Yeah, WH no. is going to be with you on Saturday. That's right. Yes, and also on the uh, on the feed cafe feed right now is the double shot last night where John and I spent some time talking about the uh, ROH and New Japan show that's happening at Madison Square Garden and what that means for uh, perhaps the contracts of Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Uh, I review being the elite episode one eleven, which featured appearances from Chris Jericho and a number of New Japan talent as well, as well as Total Bellas, which was a terrible episode. So all that is up at the cafe. Go download that now. And uh, and final things, uh, as always, for members of the double-double uh, tier, we're, we'll have a post-production video out Thursday and Friday, Rewind Away, where we are chatting the 100th episode of WCW Monday Nitro. Mm-hmm. So go to po- postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and... Eggshells is out right now. Yes. Um, a lot of great response to it. From, yeah, really good show this week with Paul Lazenby. And then uh, Chris's book is out now. You can go purchase it. So it's doing very well this week. And he'll be back Saturday chatting 1993 Tokyo Dome cards. All right, that is it. Goodbye.